Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company. We're a movement of artists and patrons who believe in the power of beauty to evangelize our culture. And we're so pumped you're here. Oh, do we have an exciting episode in store for you. I'm telling you, we just started doing this, I would say, off and on during our live streams about a year ago and every now and then on social media where I sit down with Father Ryan Adorjan or Dr. Ryan Hanning or some other great friend in town, and we take your questions. We just sit there and we, we do our best to respond to your brilliant questions. Well, today, that's pretty much all Father Ryan and I do. And I'm really excited because this is the first of a couple of episodes like this where we just dive into it. And you guys are so brilliant. You ask us questions about faith and about culture, all the way down to life and death and the meaning of human existence. I mean, really profound, profound stuff. We're going to try to do more along these lines moving forward because there's nothing more interesting to me than hearing what interests you. That's just built in, certainly, to, I think, the love good philosophy. We want to listen long before we just start talking. We want to understand long before we set out to teach and to preach and to really transform the world. And that's what you guys have done a masterful job of this week, is giving us beautiful questions to listen to, to ponder, and then to dive into. And obviously, Father Ryan Adorjan, with all of his advanced degrees and that Roman collar around his neck, he just has brilliant and also beautiful responses to many of these. And I chime in every now and then as well. So it's going to be great. I'll be back with Father Ryan Adorjan here in just a moment. In the meantime, enjoy this little clip of Made of Memories by our very dear friend, one of our love good favorites, Jackie Minson. Father Ryan Dorsch, and welcome back. Gracias. Here we are. Here we are. Uh, you're still looking at the bayou. I'm still looking at you. Yeah. I'm a little jealous. You you do have the better view, but I think you're more jealous because that's my view every day. You're calling right? me ugly? No. Are you saying it's hard to look at me? <laughs> wow. Okay. Not hard. I'd rather look at dirty water. Hey, tell everybody about our adventure this morning. This is the first time this has ever happened. Your dad is the me. coolest guy. Tell me. Tell maybe me about that. I've ever met. He's listening. So. He's even keel. Mm-hmm. I think that you could draw, if you wanted, and I do, you can draw a parallel between Mr. Murray Mitchell and the bayou on mm. which his boat is parked. Nice. Somewhat reserved, secluded a bit, smooth as it gets. But the tide 
ups and downs, just like everywhere else, but in its own way, uh-huh. in its own time. And just like Murray Mitchell, who so generously gave of himself today, not only by buying us lunch, but by coming here at 6.30 in the morning and getting the boat ready and taking us out all morning, the bayou, it just is what it is and keeps giving of itself to us. You're looking very tan, by the way. Are you noticing? No, nah, I just was I got a little sun today. A little, bit, a little bit of rosy right there. Yeah, I got a little yeah. sun today, for sure. That feels good, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It's it one does. of the best defenses against COVID. Yeah, well, I would say that coming, as I do, from Chicago, where uh, it was 61 and raining when yeah. I left, Yeah, I was walking around here looking like Casper the Great White Ghost. How Irish are you? Well, uh, my mom is almost 100% Irish. Now, not off the boat. My grandparents were were from Ireland. My great-grandparents, I suppose. Or maybe great-great-grandparents. I don't know. But she's basically, heritage-wise, 100% Irish with a touch now of bohemian. Nice. Which gives me my sort of eclectic, exotic side, I would say. But I definitely have the skin. My dad's also Austrian and Polish, so hmm. I'm not really, I'm not really, I'm over two on the Mediterranean skin types. <laughs> I just put it to you that way. So I sort of glow. Yeah, yeah, in the dark. That's good. But it was good to get out there today. That's what he did. We we went out and well, we just kind of posted up by uh, the Three Rooker Island. Yep, yep, as it's known, and now. And we just chatted for how long were we there? Two hours? A couple hours, yeah. It was great. Great. You know. Took a bunch of our Jesuit guys out there on Easter Monday. We were celebrating a, a very solid conclusion to Exodus 90. Did Murray Mitchell go with you? Of course. I, I'm not really allowed on that boat by myself yet. Okay. Like, I, you don't want me <laughs> chartering that thing. You just nervous about it or it's I'm illegal not, or what? I'm not. I think my dad is a little bit. Well, it's rough. It is a big boat. And it's expensive, it's heavy you know, boat. And it's the whole thing. And the Gulf of Mexico is not is not grandma's koi pond. It's Definitely. not your neighbor's koi pond, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> which makes that noise incessantly. Yeah, we don't even know what it is. Koi pond. There are koi be, in there. Oh, you've, you've peeked over we the fence. We checked it out yesterday. <laughs> well, yeah, the fence, for those unable to see, the fence is all oh, of two and a half feet high. So. How good it would be if our neighbors listened to this podcast. We just want to say to the neighbors, <laughs> if you're listening, that you are, well, we, you know your lawyers, but they're lawyers, you guys, and they have this big boat, and the name of their boat <laughs> written on the side is off the docket, which is hilarious. A lawyer joke is the name of their boat, and the T on docket on the side of their boat is not any old T. It's the the scales of justice. That's hilarious. Yeah. So we just want to say to you, neighbors, thank you for your boat and the name. And also good luck with the koi pond. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what we did this morning. And that was a great way to begin the day. Sunrise over the Gulf of Mexico. Great conversation, you know, great friendship. And And that's something that I really... You know, last time I was on, I think we talked about stability. We talked about community. And I think, remember at the end, we were talking about how a huge part of that is is the decision to give oneself to it. Mm. And that's what I really loved about, about that dinner that we had, whatever that was now with all those guys who I had never even met before, yeah. heard of before, and yet everyone was invested. And it, it was like I'd been, I felt like anyway that I'd been a part of that community 
forever. Yeah. Same thing with your dad. I felt like he was somebody that I have met many, many times, not just the first time this morning. So that's a great, that's the great fruit, I think, of people who are, who are willing to engage in that. So, mm, very cool. so it's interesting that that's what we talked about. And then, you know, yeah, that's what we lived or fruit. Yeah, we lived it. So I'm really excited because for the next few episodes, the next few episodes that you're on anyways, we're taking questions. The mailbag. This is our own little version of the mailbag. You've got mail. And wow, AOL. So that's a throwback. It's been a long time. And we've got some really interesting questions. A great diversity of questions that have come in from every corner of the country. Some are about dating. Some are about culture. A few are about COVID, and we're going to avoid those. Some are really theological, and we might broach some of those topics. But I want to begin with this one. It's a little intense. All right. Here's what I suggest, though. Let's get in at least three questions throughout the rest of this episode. Let's do it. Solid five-minute conversation about each. This is from Meredith. He's saying that more, by the way, for me, (laughs) rather than for all of you. Not true, because we all could listen to you on end. We would not have any trouble listening to you for a long time. It's true. I've heard you give talks as long as 45 minutes before. Captivated. I've seen middle scores captivated. That's saying everything. What can I say? So here we are. Meredith from New Mexico wants to know, how can we think about death properly in a way that helps us inspire to live well, but to avoid anxiety? How much should we prepare for death, especially an untimely one, versus focusing on living in the present moment? That's an interesting question. That's a really good question. There's some theology and some psychology and probably more. What do you think? Well, yeah, it's worth noting that we live in a a society that does so much to avoid the prospect of death because it still fears death. The Christian, it's so funny, does not fear death and and in some sense runs toward death. Mm. First, the death of, of everything that we are in baptism, the death of every kind of life anyway that matters, right? In baptism, the Christian dies and rises again with Christ. And we know that having survived that death, having undergone that death, which is really the death of Christ, the physical, the bodily death is not so scary anymore because of whose we are and because of what price we are confident has been paid for us. So in Catholic circles anyway, we talk so much about praying for the grace of a happy death, Mm. a a death in which we have been prepared, a death in which our, our questions are more or less answered or at least satisfied for the time being, and not the kind of death that takes us by surprise, you know? I'm flying out tomorrow to go home, and there's always a part of me that says, like, what if what if this flight ends with me in a fiery wreck (laughs) somewhere in Kentucky, you know? That's unlikely, statistically, not impossible, I suppose. But am I prepared for that, you know? Should I go to confession, (laughs) you know, before I get on the plane? So that's a very Catholic thing is to prepare for the grace, ask for the grace for a happy death. We pray to St. Joseph, patron saint of a happy death. Remind us why. Why St. Joseph? He himself had a happy death, you know? That's what the tradition says anyway, you know, that he died surrounded by Mary and Jesus in a very peaceful way. It's amazing. Yeah. Would that we could all, you know, arrive there. I think for a lot of people, though, and and this is something I've noticed as a priest when I get called to the hospital, is that, first of all, despite what people, despite people's faith, like people who were Catholic when they were young, 
maybe they never went to church, but they're all Catholic when they die. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who I've never heard of before, who I've never seen, never saw again, who call the priest when they're hmm. in the hospital, which is hmm. fine. I love to go. But it's so funny how for so many of them, the presence of a priest with his little kit, his purple stole, his solemn face means death. For a lot of people in a hospital, especially, the, the wow. priest is like the grim reaper in a way. That's crazy. And that's one of the reasons why the church kind of amended the, the sacrament anointing of the sick mm-hmm. from extreme unction, which it used to be called, right. to anointing of the sick. Be, so that it's not, the sacraments of healing in the church are not so like, now I'm going to die after this. No, 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 not necessarily. So what can you do to prepare yourself for a happy death? Number one, pray for the grace for happy death. Pray night prayer. That's what I would say. Night prayer from the Liturgy of the Hours. May the all-powerful Lord grant us a restful night and a peaceful death. That's how it ends. Mm-hmm. The last liturgical prayer of the church, that's how it ends. May the, all, may the all-powerful Lord grant us a restful night and a peaceful death. Number two is to keep your affairs in order. Mm. Do not grow slack, especially spiritually. So do not neglect the state of your soul. Do not neglect the health of your soul. Number one, quit your sinning. But number two is in the inevitable moments when we do give into certain temptations or whatever, just go to confession, Mm -hmm. you know, go to confession. That's the Catholic answer, obviously. And to rely on the other sacraments as well, which are made to bring life. I would say to invest in this life though, and not worry so much about death. That would be number three to just live your life here and not worry so much about death. Yeah. Don't think of death as this evil cloud which comes and snatches you. Think of death as a friend which comes to be sort of a comforter and to bring you now as the it's the it's the gauntlet through which we pass. It's the only way into eternal life. Mm. So, unless I, we're the last generation of Christians on earth, then there's a possibility of a heaven beginning before we die. Yeah, but don't put your don't put your dominoes in that <laughs> basket, Jimmy. Uh, maybe it'll happen, but but you wouldn't want it to not happen. <laughs> and yeah. had you put all your chickens in there. So don't be afraid of death because death for the for the person who is in a state of grace, for the person who is confident in what has been promised to them after death, death is a is a great friend and a great consolation. Yeah. And and not such a fearful thing. It's beautiful. And I, I do think it's very difficult to strike that tension, sure. you know, between living fully and freely with, with wild abandon and joy every day, embracing everything that this life has for us, while also being constantly prepared for death. As you put it, having your house in order, which really does bring me to this next question, very related. Otherwise, I, I probably wouldn't have chosen it right away. This is from Mitch, South Lafouche. Louisiana, okay. South says, Lafouche. says, in, in Southern Louisiana, we have to deal with invasive species of plants and animals. I don't think we have to deal with that so much in uh, Joliet, right? Yeah, we've got Asian carp in our waterways, destroying our ecosystems. Okay, there you yeah, go. Yeah, we've you got in the city. some invasive plants, yeah. I've got geckos and cockroaches, so I'm doing okay. That was the biggest cockroach I ever saw. Did you see the grasshopper this morning? No. While you were celebrating mass, that same grasshopper that's like the size of the palm of my yeah. hand it just was slowly working its way across the deck what <laughs> so did you intense. see the the ants on the deck 
What were they carrying? Like a dead June bug <laughs> in some great procession to their mighty homeland. I'd it like was, to say I was too busy in prayer, you know, sort of ecstatic contemplation, but um, I was a little distracted by the bugs. I'm yeah, to get you down off the ceiling. Um, Mitch. So, so Mitch is South Lefou. She says South there's Lefou. invasive species. And my thought is that, okay, if, you know, my outdoor environment is, is going to be healthy, He's got to tend to it as, as God intends, right? Those species basically don't have a chance. He's got to take care of them if they're going to be invasive of his agriculture, of his garden. He says, well, tell me about the invasive species of sin in our lives. How, how do we stay healthy spiritually to combat this in our daily lives? Your brother, Mitch. Back to this question, how do we keep our house in order? Yeah. And maybe I can kind of nuance the question to provide a, a, a different answer than the last one you provided. How do we avoid the near occasion of sin? This comes up a lot, particularly in working with young people, young men. You know, it's like if they can just avoid the near occasion, they'll almost always avoid the sin, you know, mm-hmm. if not always. Mm-hmm. What's been your experience of that personally, but also in spiritual direction? What are some some pro tips when it comes to keeping the invasive species out of your soul. What's the alternative to the invasive species? Mm. I mean, a life without temptation, I suppose. No, but like, so in, in, an, in, an, in an ecosystem, uh-huh. you have invasive species and you say, you see a plant, you see a bug, and right. you say, no, 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 that's native to this area. Nice, yeah. There's no such thing as sin which is native to the soul. Hmm. That is the fundamental starting place. Nice. There's no such thing as a native aboriginal sin. Well, what original sin? Like original sin. So that's why I said aboriginal sin. Nice. So yeah, there is such a thing as original sin. But remember, there's something more original to you than your original sin. Original harmony? Well, that's what I mean. Original justice. Corol, Corol, Mr. Wojtyla, please. Just a minute. <laughs> just a minute. But yeah, I mean, original justice, original harmony, original holiness, original whatever you want to call it. That's very, that's right from theology of the body. But so sometimes when we're in the near occasion of sin or when we're really tempted toward a sin, there's a place in our brains that says like, no, 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 no. Like, yes, this sin is wrong, but this time it's right. This time, this is one of those situations where I could probably get away with it Mm. because I need it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes, I I have already had seven cheeseburgers, but I did fast from breakfast this morning. So (laughs) I didn't have number eight, even though I might vomit any minute. Okay, well, it doesn't justify your gluttony, you know? Yeah. So I'm really lonely. I'm really hungry or tired or sad or angry or whatever. So because of that, like, all right, that's a that's a good excuse to engage in blank. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. So that's the second thing. There's no such thing as a native sin, and there's no such thing as a good excuse for sin. So when we are avoiding the near occasion of sin, we're not just avoiding an out-of-place sin or a non-justifiable sin or a, an ex, like a, a, a sin without a, a momentary excuse to engage in it. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You can't be in an airport without a boarding pass. Yeah. You're never going to find a boarding pass for sin. You're never going to find <laughs> something that gives you the permission to go there and it'll end up for you just fine. Mm-hmm. Sin always wounds. Sin always 
wounds. Where there is one mouse in your cupboard, there are a hundred mice in your cupboard. Where there is one Asian carp in your great lake, there's tens of thousands of Asian carp in your great lake. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, yeah. That, I would say, is probably the biggest thing to keep in mind along this topic. So how do we keep the house in order? Well, you clean up the countertops. If there's crumbs, don't don't let yourself become like okay with there being crumbs on the countertop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the rectory I live in is 60 years old. <laughs> the rectory I used to live in in Joliet is 60 years old. The one I live in now is built in the 90s. But the one in Joliet is 60 years old and... We had mice. We got mice. And my pastor taught me that Tupperware is our friend. Mm. Dessert on the counter is not our friend. Dessert in Tupperware in the fridge is our friend. Leftovers, Tupperware. (laughs) Everything in Tupperware. You you never saw so much Tupperware as that place. (laughs) And so I want you to think about it in this way. That how would you protect the food in your kitchen with Tupperware. So what is the spiritual Tupperware that you can rely on? Don't worry, you couldn't see it. But Jimmy and I just both cringed uh, inside at the thought of spiritual Tupperware. But you're going to thank me for this later. (laughs) What is some spiritual Tupperware? My friends are spiritual Tupperware. Jesus in prayer is spiritual Tupperware. My journal, trying to really think through, all right, I am tempted toward this now, but why? Mm-hmm. Why am I now but wasn't yesterday? Like, what happened to me that I'm really considering giving into this? Yeah. Okay, that's a good thing to do in journaling. A healthy diversion, weaving a basket, for example, or playing the organ, for example, or going for a walk outside, for example. Do, do you weave baskets? Mm-hmm. I didn't know this. No, I don't weave baskets. I weave very confusing narrative plot lines on Jimmy Mitchell's (laughs) podcast, but that's about all I weave. But I do play the organ and I do have a garden and I do these things which are meant to, among other things, distract me (laughs) when I'm I'm in moments of of hunger, anger, lonely, tired, etc. So that's what I would say to Mitch is to just make that, like follow through with the analogy and say, all right. What, what is the alternative to an invasive species is a native species, and there's no native species of sin. All mm-hmm. sin is invasive mm-hmm. in your life, in your habitat. So protect yourself from it the way you would protect your habitat, your home, from invasive species like wasps. Shut the door mm-hmm. and the window, mm-hmm. or get a screen at least. Protect your food from mice. Put it in Tupperware. Yeah. Protect your chemicals in your garage from the dog. Mm-hmm. Screw the lid on and put them away. And Mitch, who I know, is a husband and a father. You, who I know, is a spiritual father. This takes on a whole new level of importance when it comes to protecting those entrusted to you, mm-hmm. right? Shepherding the souls under your under your watch. Yeah. All the more so. Why is the Illinois Department of Natural Resources obsessed with the Asian carp in Lake Michigan? Because there are fishermen in Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. There are. There's a whole economy being built around the fishing industry of Lake Michigan. There's tourism in Lake Michigan. There's the Mm -hmm. health of the lake itself, which is all these other things are dependent upon. Yeah, you're never just doing it for your own sake. Mm -hmm. It's not a personal hatred of Asian carp, you know, but it's what it it brings with it, you know. Now, that's where the analogy breaks down, of course, because you don't want to have a love for sin and not commit it. 
So, Correct. Yeah. There's another place where the analogy might break down because I was thinking part of the way that I see a lot of sin sort of being removed, you know, weeded out is by completely letting it be taken over by the native beauty, goodness, truth, holiness. Yeah. You know, I don't know that that works, right? Invasive species probably have to be pulled out no matter. And they're not going to just disappear if you put in enough, you know, native, beautiful, what it's meant to be. I know nothing about no, they're culture. Yeah, me either. So let's just talk let's just like we do. Right there. Invasive species are invasive for a reason. Uh-huh. <laughs> they got there somehow. Yeah, yeah they got for be a reason. About. Yeah. Here's a question for you. This is from Julie in Clifton, Illinois. Beautiful town. That's not far from you, right? Yeah. Hey, Clifton. Uh, she wanted to ask. Clifton's in my diocese. I'm pretty sure. There you go. She wants to ask Jimmy and Father Ryan. I'm pretty sure. A couple of questions. So mad. Okay. What kinds of things? Should I add to the list of qualifications for men and women and what they should be looking for when dating? Like, what do men look for in women? What should women look for in a man? I heard this from a talk recently. I thought it was great. I thought it would be bold and ask the question to both you, Jimmy, and Father Ryan. I guess this is, you know, I've never been a big list guy. (laughs) Like, listing the qualifications of what I'm looking for in a woman. Yeah. Is this Um, from Julie? This is from Julie. Oh, Julie. Thank you for your question. Yeah. Julie sent me this question in an email. Are you serious? Yes, a long time ago, and I never replied. And I'm perfect. so sorry, Here Julie. We are. This is perfect. It's, and yes. we only got a few minutes, so we don't have to put too much pressure on giving the perfect answer to this. Well, why doesn't the one who's dating uh, give the first crack at it? Dating is a Maybe term. not actively dating. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take this question, and I'll see how we can land the plan on this episode. I mean, there's non-negotiables. For me personally, it would be very difficult to date somebody who didn't share the faith. Does that mean I'm unwilling to date somebody who's not a Catholic? Probably not. Uh, I'm often attracted to women because of their Catholic faith, you know, like there is something very undeniably beautiful about, you know, a, a woman at mass, you know, a woman in the line for confession, a woman who spends time in personal prayer, you know, that's really attractive to me. It also sort of implies that there's a a shared set of virtues that we want to live our lives around, that we want to raise kids around one day. So I don't think it has to be a non-negotiable. For me, it is. And it's just a huge part of what attracts me to a woman in the first place, right? So the faith, her devotion, her life of prayer, her virtue, that's really, really attractive to me. So I, I, I don't love the idea of a list of qualifications. That's just feels a little too orchestrated for me. Not, not human enough. But I can tell you with all of my intuition, those are things I look for. Faith, virtue, devotion, prayer, you know, love for the Lord, love for the church. Other non-negotiables that don't somehow fall into those categories, I, I don't know, actually. I feel like everything sort of falls under those categories. Sense of humor. Thank you. Now we're on a personality. Yeah, you want to laugh. You want to also rest in that person's presence, you know? And that's not going to happen on the first date, second date, maybe even the third date. But there's going to come a point where you have this profound sense of companionship, this profound sense of, wow, this actually is my best friend. This is the person that I can sit even in total silence with and be like totally content around, you know? So, okay, obviously faith and virtue, we'll call that the foundation, you know, the, the, the personality, sense of humor, chemistry, 
you know, you're not going to necessarily sort through all that on a first date. Yeah. But I think it's it's definitely going to uh, be fairly well known within the first few dates. Is this somebody that you just like see yourself hanging with for the rest of your life? You know, so chemistry, personality, perhaps the most obvious thing. And I'm sort of thinking through, you know, my very limited study of Carol Votiwa's love and responsibility. He talks about attraction, mm. right? And for men, it tends to be a very physical and sensual thing. For women, it tends to be a little bit more emotional or what he says, you know, he calls it sentimental, right? There's a, a sensual or a sentimental attraction to the person. That's what's going to even inspire you to take her out on a first date in the first place. That's going to inspire the woman to at least say yes to the first date. And this would be a a plea to all the women out there, all the single women out there. <laughs> Say yes to the first date, you know, unless he's creepy, and unless you have real reason to believe that he's dangerous, right? Uh, he's not going to take good care of you on the first date. I've been turned down a lot when it was just a first date. All it was meant to be was casual, fun, intentional, definitely a date, but casual and fun. How else do you get to know people? You know, unless you're in the same group of friends, unless you work in the same place, it's very difficult to even move past the attraction, to even get into chemistry, much less to really dig down into the foundation of faith and virtue and prayer. The first date, I think there's nothing to lose. Again, unless your radar has gone up and you know this guy is an absolute disaster or an absolute creep. Should women feel comfortable to ask the man on the first date? I don't like it. Okay. That would be a total turnoff for me. If someone asked you out, you wouldn't like that? No. Why? Uh, I don't like it. Why? Uh, you want me to give you like my instinctual answer? You I don't know. Some kind of philosophical, This is just all new to me. I don't know anything about it. I mean, I think instinctually, I want to initiate, right? I want to have to work a little here, you know, to even make something happen. Don't make it that easy on us. If you don't have a, a man who's willing to fight for the first date, he ain't going to fight for your marriage. Hmm. He ain't going to fight for your happiness long term, you know? So a, a man who maybe needs a woman to drop some hints, that, that's one thing, you know? But if he's not willing to make the first move, that to me is a red flag, big time red flag. Unless you want to have a passive husband one day, Ooh. go for it. Because that's what you'll get. That's what you'll attract. And there's maybe some exceptions to that. But I think most men who are active, who are engaged, who are willing to put in the energy and the effort towards any relationship, they're going to ask you. And if you're happy for a man who is passive and maybe can move towards that level of intentionality, great. But I wouldn't take the risk. So I wouldn't let my daughter take that risk if I was married with the kids. The lady, she's just, the guy is, is a dummy. We're all dumb. Yes. And he doesn't get it. You got to drop some hints. And she might drop the hint. She might be a more obvious over time. Worst case scenario, get around through the friend, you know? Yeah. Find the mutual friend that you can somehow communicate your interest or your openness. I've appreciated that through the years. For a woman, even if she says it indirectly, you know, that's kind of cool to know. Okay, well, at least we've got some established interest. Sure. But I must say that nine times out of 10, I haven't waited for that. I've 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 sort of gone for it in, in the first place. And uh, I think maybe in retrospect, I should have waited for that more often. Ah, okay. Maybe would have saved some time along the way. It is virtuous to see a woman in the confession line. It's but inspiring. Men, I want to remind you, 
You can also go to confession, you know, <laughs> because you hardly ever do. In any parish, in any place in the world, you hardly ever do. So if you want to meet a lot of women... Go to confession. <laughs> go to the confession line and get in it and then talk to me and then get out of there and talk to the girl. But you are also allowed to go to confession. Okay, I'm just going to oh, say that as my priestly so point of view. Okay, thanks. That's great. Father Ryan, what a pleasure. We've got so many more questions like that. Like these, we'll pick up where we left off in a few weeks and we're actually about halfway through uh, season six right now. So uh, thanks as always for being on the journey. Slancha. Peace. My Irishness. Cause in a world where fools and six Try to bar the golden door To keep out the huddled masses The tired and the poor Where the homeless long for shelter From the chaos of the squalls How can I raise the flag And love beyond its walls I'm trying hard to be a better man All I can do is make an honest stand You're listening to Make a Stand by Kevin Hyder. You know, Kevin Hyder is one of the oldest standing, ongoing artists that Love Good has had the privilege to work with, all the way back to 2010. I think that's the first time I ever met Kevin. And we did this kind of random event at a, at a church at the cathedral in Nashville. And then next thing you know, we were driven up this big event called Love Come Alive. And it was just so awesome watching that event take off. It was a big pro-life music festival. And the next thing you know, we were doing the Glory Conference. And then we were launching Love Good. And Love Good was initially called Love Good Music, summer of 2013. And Kevin Hyder was one of the early, early pioneering artists who helped get it off the ground and made the whole thing happen. I think he was on the road that summer with us for at least two out of the 10 weeks. It was such a privilege. And it continues to be such a joy and privilege having people like Kevin Hyder in my life and certainly in this movement, in this community that we call Love Good. Okay, so next week I'm sitting down with Marisol. We're talking about well, friendship and joy and sorrow and nostalgia and hard work. It's a really, really cool conversation that cuts across a lot of different topics and really kind of boils down to this idea of friendship being a source of sanctity. Friendship being one of the great ways that we are all meant to grow and ultimately be sanctified and to become more like Christ, the one whose life and death and resurrection we're all trying to imitate. So, Pretty great stuff, as always, a joy. And you guys can't thank you enough for tuning in. We're only five, six episodes away from season six, closing down, closing down, landing the plane. That's probably a better way of saying that. And then uh, the biggest announcement we've made at really in months, years, I would say it's the biggest announcement we made since we went from Love Good Music to Love Good Culture. All right. That's coming at the very end of season six. So start holding your breath now. Let the anticipation rise. So much to come. In the meantime, be assured of our prayers and uh, pray for us as well. We'll see you next week. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Love Good Podcast. Share this episode link on social media, leave us a review, and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. You'll start enjoying our premium content and seasonal packages that not only raise your standard for music, books, and art, 
but that also inspire you to evangelize culture through beauty. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.